0: It is good to see all of you in person. Uh, I spent about a month, almost a month, um, in quarantine and covering from, recovering from COVID. So I've been watching you on the camera, <laughs> um, but it is so good to be here with you in the flush and in person. Um, so I'm very grateful to be better and be back. Um, And I also am so grateful to all the hands that go together, uh, work to put the live stream out, because it is truly a blessing when you can't be here to be able to still feel that connection. Um, So with that, I also want to say greetings to those who are worshiping with us from home um, for whatever reason that they can't be with us in person. So uh, I want to read, I'm going to be teaching out of Romans chapter 12 this morning. Um, If you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, we're going to read the first eight verses now, and then we're going to hit the rest of the chapter in a little bit. Romans 12. I'll be reading out of the NIV. Um, I don't often go back to the NIV, but I think I memorized so much of this chapter (laughs) when I was in high school uh, in the NIV that it's hard for me to Read it in a different translation. So um, hopefully you'll be able to follow along. Romans 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is So early in quarantine, on one of the Sunday morning Zoom calls, Justin asked, which of the four things that you see up here, teaching, fellowship, ordinance, and prayer, which of those four things were we missing the most? Um, So we're all in our homes, we're looking at each other in our living rooms or our bedrooms or our offices at home, and Justin asked us that question. And several people responded with, they missed worshiping or singing together. And that caused me to pause because that wasn't one of the four choices <laughs> and uh as rebellious as I may seem I am a bit of a rule follower <laughs> so I noticed that and I also, I thought it was so interesting that like that was a deep heart cry and a deep felt loss was that time together but it wasn't one of the four and so I had a little wrestling match with the Lord over the last six eight months um about this so I've been a worship leader literally for 30 years since I was 16 years old um, started in the youth group worship team uh, when worship music at my church wasn't allowed upstairs (laughs) it had to be in the basement just for the kids Um, so it's been a long journey and obviously um, you all I think everyone in here yeah we all know each other and I love music I love to sing it's it's I'm passionate about that but it caused me to pause and think about this word worship. And for, for not the best, um, the multi-million dollar worship music industry has kind of taken that word captive. And I think that there is a deeper meaning. Singing is part of it, and we're gonna talk about that. Um, but uh, I think the next slide if you want to put that up, Justin, the hurdle or the danger in calling music worship is that the proper meaning of the word worship is lost and it's easily replaced with entertainment and emotional expression solely through music. So if we're not emotionally expressing to God in ways outside of this Sunday morning thing, then we're missing something. Um, And so it's part of it, but it doesn't help take all of it so i was even questioning like should i be called a worship leader or am i a song leader is that more appropriate like it's going through all this all this stuff so um the the really real very present dangers that happen if we misuse or or don't have a full understanding of the word worship is we are in danger of worshiping god with our mouths but our hearts being far from god there's also a danger on the other side of misunderstanding that our pride and discomfort can keep us from offering our whole selves in corporate confession and praise when we gather together. Neither are what God desires when he commands us to worship him and him alone. As we head into 2021, let's do so with a willingness to allow God to expand our understanding of worship. Let us not be conformed to the definitions of our culture, even our Christian culture, but ask God to renew our minds in this. So, we're gonna set the stage for this by looking at the concept of embodied worship. Um, let's begin by looking at some definitions. What is worship? Well, I couldn't just go to Webster's because our biblical understanding of the word worship has a little bit different nuance to it. So, one theologian said this, and I thought this was a great definition of worship worship is the response of the heart. To the knowledge of the mind when the mind is rightly understanding god and the heart is rightly valuing god there's a lot in that we're going to unpack that a little bit and what is it to embody if we're going to talk about embodied worship what is it to embody to embody is to be an expression of or give a tangible or visible form to an idea a quality or a feeling and so We have this response we have this mind that connects with god our heart responds in that and if it's embodied worship it's tangible and visible it's outward expression it's both something happens in our heart and something happens in our expression of that as we look at god's intention for our embodied worship we see a thread woven through our activities that we are called to be a peculiar people One of the ways we demonstrate our peculiarness is by singing. In our North American culture, singing, especially men's singing, is at times regarded as peculiar. I really geeked out here, uh, because I got all into this singing stuff, and like, why singing is actually so good for us and so important. It's not just a thing that maybe we can choose to engage in or not. The first reason is that singing is commanded. The Bible contains over 400 references to singing and 50 direct commands to sing. God intends for us to obey those commands. The second thing is that singing renews our mind. I grew up on the old hymns. I love to sing those familiar words and those familiar melodies. But how cool is it when there's a slight turn on the phrase or it's put together just a little different and those old familiar words take on new meaning and fresh perspective. And new songs, spiritual songs, help us to see new truths. We sang, the two songs we sang already this morning were both written here at Cornerstone by these people for this place. And that can bring us into new truths that we didn't see before. We sing because it reflects God. God himself sings. In Zephaniah, God sings. Jesus sang hymns with his disciples. One of the evidences of being filled with the Holy Spirit is singing. So the triune God says, sing, I sing, you sing. Let's all sing together. And then there's super cool science stuff. So if you want to have a conversation with me later, I'd love to talk about this more because it's really fun. Um, My sermon was super long and I needed to cut some stuff and um, that was probably something I had to cut a little. But I'm going to talk a little bit about it, Um, the parts that are really important. First of all, we think of singing, we think of sound, we think of our voice, we think of our mouths. But your very first voice lesson is about the breath. You spend the whole first hour just talking about the breath and how you breathe because your breath is the foundation for singing which is so cool because God breathes into us the breath of life, and that very breath is the foundation for the song of worship and praise that arises back to him. There's lots of players in our sound, our teeth, our lips, how high your palate is, your sinuses. There's all sorts of stuff that goes, goes into each person having a unique sound which is what I thought of when I was reading the first part of Romans 12, that we each have a different offering to bring in the very song that we sing. We each have a unique and original sound. So when you think of like um, the boys' choirs in Europe and how they sing this incredible unison that you can hardly tell, you couldn't pick the voices apart. The way we do that is the first step to singing in unison is to listen to listen to your neighbor, to listen to the other people singing. That's how we sing in unison. So I'm gonna put my mask on and we're going to sing the chorus of, O Come Let Us Adore Him. Hopefully you all know that. O Come Let Us Adore Him, O Come Let Us Adore Him, O Come Let Us Adore Him, him, Christ the Lord. And we're gonna sing it in unison. So those of you who are bent to go into harmonies, we gotta have some discipline, stay in unison. What I want you to focus on is listening to the voices around you. Let's sing in one way. Yeah, Angie, I'm talking to you. <laughs>
1: this
0: masks we're a real mess with earrings and hearing aids, so I'll have to reassemble when we're done. <clears throat> Let's sing together. Oh, come,
1: let us adore him. Oh, come, let us
0: unison singing. I am grateful to be back in the sanctuary, but I know that lobby would have had really nice acoustics for that. Singing also does cool stuff in our brains. It affects our cognition and our emotional health. Our speech utilizes the left side of our brain, which makes sentences. Singing uses the right side of our brain that's responsible for rhythm and melody. So singing is one of the few activities that both sides of our brains are engaged at the same time, which is really good for us. Singing also, this this is really cool. Singing also helps with emotional regulation. When we sing, it is proven to release endorphins and oxytocin, which are known to stimulate feelings of trust and bonding while eliminating anxiety and depression. How cool is that? The very act of the body of Christ singing together physiologically causes us to trust and feel more bonded with each other. And singing also helps us remember. Science has confirmed that we remember words and patterns more easily when those words are set to music. It's why most of us probably can't quote anything from a John Wesley sermon, but most of us know the words to his brother Charles' song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing." So I went on this crazy little deep dive, which often happens when I'm studying. Something catches my eye, a little glimmer, (laughs) I get distracted. And I was thinking about worship and the Shema and the part of it that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. And I got hung up on that word soul, which in Hebrew is nefesh. The basic meaning of nefesh is throat. For the whole life and body depends on what comes in and out of the throat. Nefesh implies in Hebrew the whole human as a living, breathing person, which makes me think of Romans 12, a living sacrifice. This is true worship, the offering of our entire self. And how cool also that there's that little head nod to what comes out of our throats singing and praise and words that encourage each other and glorify and honor Jesus. So let's review the definition of worship is the response of the heart when God is rightly understood and rightly valued. And then that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows in demonstrable acts of love, in serving others for the sake of Christ Embodied worship is not stationary. It moves because it's alive. It's contained in a body, a person. It moves up first by valuing God, treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, being satisfied with God above all earthly things. It's God's character and his redemptive work that elicit worship in us. It draws the worship from us. That's where we start. We declare together who God is and that it all begins with him. We proclaim to him his worth and we offer our lives in surrender. In thinking of the current events that were mentioned before when we read the confession together, I want to take a minute and I want to remind each other of the worthiness of our God. I want to sing again We're going to sing the same chorus, but we're going to use the words, For he alone is worthy. For he alone is worthy. For he alone is worthy, Christ the Lord. And this time I'm going to give all of you singers and vocalists free reign to break out into whatever harmony you want, and let's delight in each of our unique voices being lifted up to the Lord. For he alone
1: is worthy for he alone
0: I love that resonating bass sound down there. Whichever you men was hitting that, that was nice. So our worship moves up, our worship moves in. When we worship, when we declare the worthiness of God, it realigns us again with who God is and who we are in light of that. It's a course correction. This is a quote from Brueggemann uh, from a book that I was reading about becoming households of God and how worship plays into that. Worship at its best makes us aware that our very existence, the existence of the community of faith and the existence of the world itself do not depend on us, but on God. The church as a community of faith, as an alternative community in the world is not a voluntary association, an accident of human preference. The church as a wedge of newness, as a foretaste of what is coming, as a home for the odd ones, is the work of God's originary mercy. For all its distortedness, the church peculiarly hosts God's power for life. As we adore him, through the warfare of our worship, as spiritual enemies are defeated by the truth of who he is, as we are realigned into our proper position as sons of the Most High, through his grace and not of ourselves, our view of one another, is also righted. I want to look back in Romans uh, to the end of chapter 11, where Paul has this doxology. He quotes some of um, Isaiah 40, but it's really cool. Let's look at how Romans 11 leads into Romans 12. Let's start at the doxology in verse 33 of chapter 11. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. This is our worship up, embodied worship moving up. How in search, unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, verse 1 of chapter 12, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, so we just did this taxology, our embodied worship moved up. Because of that, in view of God's mercy, which is our alignment, that it is a gift of God, not anything that we have done ourselves. Then we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As it goes further in chapter 12, we see the ways our worship is exhibited in our care for one another. The instructions and definition in the New Testament about the activity of worship point Away from entertainment and distractions and towards the substance of disciplined focus, pursuing truth, and acts of obedience. Let's read together what embodied worship looks like when we move out. Starting in verse 9 Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. In doing this, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's our spiritual act of worship. That is worship embodied. True and right worship. When our worship moves upward, declaring the honor and worth of God the Father, when our worship moves in, rightly aligning our very person through the flesh and blood of our risen King, the very Son of God, our hearts are stirred by God the Spirit to love, sacrifice, and action to lift the burden of the poor and oppressed among us. This is embodied worship. And finally, embodied worship remembers. To remember is not simply to go back into the past, but to bring something of the past to the present thing I thought about the most with this was our children in the coming generations. If our worship is disembodied, we're not going to engage them. We have to go back and bring something of the past here to the present. Something embodied, something alive. We can do this through song, teaching, and prayer, and especially in COVID and quarantine, this is one of the questions we asked is, what do we need to be together for? Like, there are some things that we're responsible for in our Christian walk with the Lord. There are some things we can do on our own and with our family, but what do we need the community for? What are those things that we have to be bodily present for? And those things are the sacraments, when we baptize, when we take communion together. We partake in these tangible activities as a demonstration that we are peculiar when we do these set apart things like consume flesh and drink blood and dunk new believers in water we draw questions and curiosity in the jewish tradition at the seder meal a young child asks why are we doing this are our liturgies odd enough that our children ask the same thing are our practices out of step with the world that the next generation asks why are we living this way This becomes the occasion for the story. Are we weird enough that people ask curious questions? I'm going to read you one more quote as I finish up. This is from a book I was reading on spirit and sacrament. It says, Celebrating sacraments, baptism, Eucharist, draws us into a different and better story. It is unashamedly physical. Hydrogen and oxygen, wheat and grapes, flesh and blood... And so it takes us back to the creation in which God says that matter is good and to the incarnation in which God actually became flesh for us. It roots us in a particular place with particular people. You can watch sermons online or sing worship songs in your car, but for the sacraments you actually have to be there, touching and smelling the elements in front of you and the people around you and acknowledging the goodness of physical stuff as you participate.